chance to be in your house. We thank you for the reminder that we've had. Lord, what we celebrate this time of year is centered on the gift that is given in Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, as we spend some time in your word together, Lord, help us to see how you would have us to respond to the gift that has been given to us in the birth of our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would help us to set aside what might be weighing on our mind or perhaps to take what is weighing on our mind and and to hold it before you as we look at our text and to see that that burden or that, uh, that problem, that anxiety, whatever it is that we have with us, and to see it through the lens of our text this morning. So, Father, give us fresh eyes, hearts to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I want you to know that there is something amazing about the fact that God Almighty, who His existence spans eternity past and eternity future, who created all things by the power of His Word, who upholds the universe, prevents it from collapsing in on itself by simply saying that it should be. This God who is beyond our understanding, who is greater and more glorious than we can ever wrap our minds around. This God who, his, whose mercy and grace, the depths of those we will never reach the bottom of. This God who is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, glorious. This God loves you. God loves you. Do you have the faintest idea of how much God loves every single person in this room right now? God loves you. Every single one of you. And this is the time of year when we remember That Christ descended, he left the glory, the beauty of heaven and became a man. Still being fully God, he comes as an infant child born of the Virgin Mary. Think about this, immensity itself becomes confined in a womb. Greatness, the, the all of everything is now limited to less than 12 inches space. Christmas is when we remember God's greatest gift to humanity in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, perhaps no verse better summarizes this gift than the one we want to look at this morning probably one of the most well known verses in the Bible, even among non believers. That is John 3.16. So I invite you to take your Bibles, if you haven't already, turn to John 3.16. And over the next couple of Sundays in this season, 
we want to do a deep dive into John 3.16. We're going to break it apart and look at the depths, the riches that God communicates to us in this one well-known verse of Scripture. And we want to do that with an eye to seeing the glory of Christ's incarnation, the, the, the beauty and the greatness of what God is doing here. And my hope is that you will leave here this morning refreshed and renewed at the love of God in giving himself to us in Jesus Christ. So John 3.16 is a verse you know. Let's read it. It says, starting in verse 14, just to grab a little bit of the context beforehand, we're going to talk about the context. It says, Jesus is talking. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Verse 16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, to understand John 3.16, it's very important that we understand the context. Because John 3, the, the chapter starts with Jesus going to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is confused about how to be born again. Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is struggling with this idea of a, a second birth. Why is it necessary? How does it happen? And he understands Jesus to be talking about a physical birth. But Jesus is not talking about a physical rebirth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, being born again. And so Jesus is explaining to this that you must be born again. But how? And that's when we pick up in verse 14, Jesus says, it's by believing. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in the Son of Man might have eternal life. So how are you born again? By believing. How are you saved? By believing. How are you reconciled to God? How are you forgiven of your sins? How are you made right with God? How are you born again? You believe and you rest in Christ. So Jesus is hinting at his crucifixion as the serpent was lifted up and all who looked on it were cleansed and delivered. Jesus says, so he would do. He will be lifted up on a cross. He will be crucified, but everyone who looks to him, believes in him, will be saved. And so Jesus is saying we are saved, we are born again because the Son of Man would willingly go to a cross, die for their sins, take their place, and achieve, purchase, accomplish their salvation. So think about this. He says, if we want to know where to look to be saved, we must look to Him. That's why He came. And as we, before we even approach John 3, 16, what I want you to see is God, Jesus is talking about what he is giving. We're talking about the giving God. What is God promising? Before we even get to John 3, 16, what is he promising in verses 1 through 15? He's saying God is giving a savior. 
God is giving salvation through this Savior. God will give salvation to anyone who looks at this one and believes in him. God will give the soul healing we desire. God will give us the joy and desire of our heart. The desire of every nation in Christ to all who look to him. God will give a new birth to those who rest in Jesus. He gives new life. He will be a new creation. God will work by his spirit through his son to give hope and eternal life, a life that does not perish, fade, go away, or end. So before we even get to verse 16 where it says, for God so loved the world he gave, we've already been so abundantly blessed by God in the coming of Jesus Christ. God will all these things graciously and freely give. And it's available to those who believe. So before we even actually get to our text, we already see God as a giving God. That's his nature. But in the context, it's that context, excuse me, that we get to John 3.16. And what do we find? Just We find more evidence of what God gives. And how good of a God He is at giving. So now that we've reached verse 16. Again, it says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Central to this verse is that God loves the world and the expression of that love is that God gave. So if you, if you leave here remembering nothing else this morning, I hope you remember this. This is the main idea I want you to leave here. We're going to see how our text teaches this. But, but know this. Our God is a loving God who gives lovingly. Our God is a loving God who gives lovingly. We want to take the first part of this verse... And dive deeply in it. And consider that God is a giving God. And there's three truths I want you to see this morning related to God's giving. We're going to talk about these three truths about God's giving. And then we're going to talk about some applications for it. But the first truth I want you to see is the reason for God's giving. The reason for God's giving. What does it say at the beginning of the verse? In verse 16 it says, For that word is Jesus giving an explanation. Jesus is continuing to explain everything we said in the context. Why is it that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Why must He be lifted up so that everyone who looks to Him and believes in Him will be saved? Verse 16 tells us the explanation. It explains why verse 15 is true. Why would God send His Son... To be lifted up on a cross so that all who believe in him might be saved. The answer is the greatest answer you could possibly imagine. Divine love. How is it that we might have eternal life in the Son? John and Jesus very simply say, because God loves. The motive for God's giving is his love. 
I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, The Four Loves. He says it very simply. You want to know why I love C.S. Lewis? This is not in my notes, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. The reason I love C.S. Lewis is I tried to put this point a thousand different ways and I wasn't quite getting it right. And then I remembered C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And on page one, he said exactly what I was trying to say. That's C.S. Lewis. But he says this, divine love is gift love. Divine love is gift love. God loves because... As John tells us in his letter in 1 John 4, 8, because God is love. God gives because he loves. God's giving is rooted in his loving nature. So remember, we said our God is a loving God, right? He's a loving God, and because he's a loving God, he gives. Remember, just the next verse in 1 John He says that God is love. And then verses 9 and 10, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. So God loves us. How do we know God loves us? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. John says in verse 10, love consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We know God loves us. Because he gave us his son. Isn't that, isn't that why we give most of our gifts? To show love? It's no different with God. Let me think about this. Have you ever, have you ever gotten a gift and then you very quickly find out where the string is attached? Right? Like here, have this gift. Now I hope you'll vote this way. Or here, have this gift. I hope you'll give us your business. Or have you ever ever just like had a sixth sense that went off? Like somebody like was being nice to you and almost immediately you're like, what do you want? (laughs) Don't look at your spouse. (laughs) Or your children. But that's not how it is with God. God does not have ulterior motives. God does not operate in the bait and switch. His reason for giving is pure. He gives because he's a loving God. God loves us and so he gives. So that's the reason for God's giving. Our God is a loving God. He gives because he loves. But now I want you to see the second truth is the nature of God's giving. The nature of God's giving. We've talked about the reason. Let's talk about the nature. It says, for God so loved the world. That's that's the King James, right? For God so loved the world. And I want us to look at that word so. Because sometimes this is taken to mean so much. For God loved the world so much. Like it's a a measurement. We, We measured God's love and it is so great. God loved the world so much, or such, to such a high degree that he gave us his son. But that word, so, can also be translated as in this manner, in this way, which is why the translation that I regularly preach from says, the CSB says, for God loved the world in this way. And I remember being in seminary, and I remember the first time I heard this, and it was kind of like world, you know, reorienting, because I would hear guys in chapel or in class say, like, no, you got to translate that as, God so loved the world in this way. This is the way he shows his love. And it makes sense, right? 
But you know what I found? And, and, and just think about it, really. Let's assume we translate it that way. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son. That He gave His only begotten Son. If God loved me that way, you know what that tells me? God loves me a lot. So I don't think we have to pick and choose between one translation or the other. And as you read John, if you know anything about John, John is the master of sometimes verses and statements can have, if I can say this, more than one meaning. I want to be careful there. I'm not saying it means whatever. But John is very good at making statements that are just full. They're full. There's a lot that's in it. And John is saying that God loved the world. He loved it so much. So whether we take it as this is the way God shows his love or this is how much God shows or how much he loves us, let's not miss the point that both of them point to the magnitude, the nature of God's love for us. The, the love of God for us is beyond measure. It is beyond comprehension. It is beyond, even if you will allow it, explanation and belief. I mean, have you not ever felt that you looked at how you lived before Christ and you said, how in the world could God love me? Maybe you're there today. After the week you've had and you come here and you say, Jason, you're talking about God loves people. I don't know how he could possibly love me. But he does. He does. The nature of this love is revealed from the fact that God gave and he gave us his son. God did not just send an angel. He did not just send another prophet. He did not just send another king. He sent his only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity, His most prized, His most special, the very best. There's nothing greater that God could give for us to show us that He loved us. God loves us with a love that is so great that every poet, every author, every musician if they're being honest, must be mute in trying to explain this love. God has a great love that He gives. Our God is a loving God, and He gives because He loves. But to whom? To whom is that love given? So we have, we talked about the reason for God's giving. We've talked about the nature of God's giving. Now let's talk about the recipient of God's giving. Who receives? When we're talking about giving, the, the idea of giving itself implies a recipient, doesn't it? When you give something, it's to somebody, someone, something. And so that recipient, now that recipient could reject it. You may, be, you may give not knowing exactly who's going to receive. I mean, didn't we do that with the shoeboxes? We're giving. We don't know exactly who's going to receive it, but, but somebody will. I mean, that's 
Think about all the things that, that you give towards with whether you realize it or not that there is a recipient, whether it's writing a book, whether it's creating a work of art, leaving an inheritance, raising a children, serving in your church. You don't know, but there's a recipient, so you give. But who does John say the recipient of this love is? Who is it that God loves so greatly and so, so greatly and so wonderfully? What does John say? For God loved the world. God loved the world. What does John mean by that? Well, John's not saying he, God so loved the trees and the ocean waves, the mountains and the hills that he gave his only son. The primary focus in this word world is the whole class of us sinners. God so loved the systems and the persons that were set up against him. God so loved the rebels and the traitors, the deniers and the blasphemers. God so loved the immoral, the arrogant, the prideful, the lustful. God loved the world. Our God is a loving God who gives Lovingly. Now you can love and give, but it's not just that God loves and gives, even the way He gives is lovingly. He, the, the manner in which He gives is in a loving manner. So understand this when God sent His Son into the world, He wasn't looking down and saying, like, I really don't want to do this. He loved the world, so He lovingly sent His Son, and the loving Son came lovingly. So maybe you find yourself here this morning and you say, I want to come back. I want to return to Jesus. I've wandered away. But I know that if I come back, he's just going to be looking at me with that stern brow. He's going to be looking at me. He's going to be mad. He's going to be thinking, I can't believe you did this again. But your God is a loving God who gives lovingly and will welcome you back. Lovingly, what does the prodigal son find when he returns home? Does he find his father tapping his toe in the distance, shaking his head with his arms crossed? No, what does the father do? The father runs to his son, embraces him, and he's so glad he's home. That's the kind of love that our God demonstrates towards us. So we've talked about The reason that God gives. He gives because He loves. We've talked about the nature of it. He gives far and above and beyond. He gives the greatest. He gives His Son. And we've talked about the recipients. He gives it to you and I, to sinners, a gift. So what do we do with all that? I want to give you four applications. Four applications that we are to take away from this truth that God is a loving God who gives lovingly. Truth number one, or application number one, excuse me. Believe or receive, however you want to think of it, believe and receive God's loving gift. The primary application that we all need to make here this morning is God sent His Son as a gift. The question is, is have you received it? Have you believed in the one that God sent for you? Are you resting 
in what Christ has done. So first of all, believe and receive Christ. That's why Christ came. That's why Jesus was lifted up. So that by believing, you might have eternal life. But, but understand this. Let's set aside the language of a gift. It is a gift, but, but we're not talking about in some abstract sense. God gave himself. What does that say about God? That before Christ, you hated God, wanted nothing to do with God, and yet he comes and gives himself anyway, that he might be yours? The love of God manifested in knowing that though he was hated by the very ones he would lay down his life for, he so loved them that he wanted those rebels and those sinners to have the greatest treasure they could possibly imagine, him. So believe and receive Christ. And in doing so, you are believing and receiving God's love. Maybe you are a believer and you're here this morning and you say, I know I've trusted in Christ. I know I'm forgiven. I know that, that I am a child of God. That is my hope. But maybe you're thinking, but I'm here this morning and I'm not quite sure that God really does love me. Or maybe his love for me has lessened. You say, Jason, you don't know all the things that I've done since I became a Christian. You don't know how I messed up this week. I, I don't know that God actually loves me that much. Let, let me tell you this. The person that's whispering that in your ear is not God. Do you think when it says God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life? You don't think God saw you in your stupidity and your sinfulness and all your rebellion, all the things that you would do? You don't think God knew all that and loved you anyway? So maybe... You need to believe and receive it again. Not in the sense to be saved again, but for the second application, to be assured of God's love for you. To be assured. If this text doesn't assure you, give you an assurance of your salvation, I don't know what else will. I think about Romans 5, 8. Paul says, God has proven, he has demonstrated, he has publicly declared his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It is a love that is not based on how good you are. It is a love that is not based on how well you keep commandments. It is a love that is a gracious, kind, God, divine love. He has proven it. But what is the whole context we're talking about? It's a promise, right? Not only has God promised, He's proven it. 
And he, he, he promises that he loves us. So be assured of God's love for you. But there's a third application. Be comforted by God's love for you. Be comforted by God's love for you. I want you to think about this. Everything in the life of a believer passes through his loving hands. Maybe this morning when you hear God speak, the Spirit of God whisper into your heart, God loves you. And maybe your initial response is, well then, why Let me be the first to say, I know that's not always easy. I know that that's not an easy answer. I know that there are people in this room that have had some of the worst things you could possibly imagine happen to you. I don't want to, I don't want to make light of your suffering, your pain. But Can I just lovingly and gently say this? What's the alternative? That you went through that and that there's no one and nothing that can use that for good? That there's nothing and no one who could take when your life was burned to the ground and bring beauty out of those ashes? That you would go through something that would almost split your soul in half. And there's no one who could possibly mend it. For the life of a believer. All. Everything. Passes through his loving hands. And here's why the second part of this is just as beautiful. Over and over in the Psalms. What are we told? His steadfast love endures forever. God's love is not like the world's idea of love. God does not stop loving you because it's inconvenient. God does not stop loving you because it's costly. He did not even spare His own Son God does not stop loving you because you have failed again and again and again. I love what Calvin says about this. He says, The commencement of solid joy is to perceive the fatherly love of God toward us. Be comforted by God's Love for you. The fourth application is now that you've believed, you've received, you are assured by God's love of your salvation, you're comforted in your affliction and in your temptation and in your many failures. In light of all that, now be motivated by God's love for you. Be motivated by God's love for you. Love For God, motivated by His love for us. What does John say in 1 John 4.19? We love. Why? 
Because he first loved us. If you get that order wrong, it ruins, I was going to say it changes, but it ruins everything. We love because he first loved us. That is the Christian life. The motivation for the Christian life is love given back to the one who loved us. So maybe this past week you, you served the Lord or you tried to uh, do what you wanted to do unto the Lord, but it was out of guilt or it was out of shame or it was out of some other reason other than love. But, but maybe this morning you leave here overwhelmed by God's love for you that it cannot help but overflow out of you to serve, to give, to do whatever it is in the Christian life by love for Him. So be motivated by God's love for you. And here's where it's so good, you guys and gals. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus in his ministry is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The right response to our God being a loving God who gives lovingly. The right response, the righteous response is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And you know what the problem is? We don't. So everything that we have said this morning... That Jesus and his coming being sent reveals that God is a loving God who gives lovingly. Ought to elicit from us a loving response that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would believe and receive. That we would be assured, be comforted, and be motivated. That perfect love that is given to us would be reflected back to him. But it's not, is it? And that's exactly why Jesus had to come. You see, even behold the love of God in Jesus Christ that not only did he send his son, but in sending his son, his son is the only one that perfectly kept the right response to this great love that is being showed towards sinners. In his coming to redeem you from your failures by Jesus' perfect life, he has already covered your failures. To love him perfectly. To be motivated perfectly by love for him. Do you not see how God has so lovingly given you everything in Jesus Christ? He has already factored in the failures. He's already factored in the mistakes, the sins, the weakness, the frailty, your finite nature. All of that is factored in so that Jesus Christ is the answer for the start of the Christian life. Jesus Christ is the answer for sustaining the Christian life. He's how you begin. He's how you continue. He's how you end. God so loved you that he sent his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have 
eternal life. Our God is a loving God who gives lovingly. And it is with this in mind that I want us to approach the Lord's table this morning. The table of the Lord is where Jesus invites us and assures us of his love for us. We are once again promised at the table that God so loved us that he sends his son. Christ invites us to the table and meets us here because he loves us. So as we come to a time of response, what we want to do is take a moment and as we transition to taking the Lord's Supper, this is a time for you to examine your heart. It's a time for you to confess any sin that you might need to confess. Repent of sin. Come, rest, receive, believe in Jesus Christ for the cleansing of sin. And then understand that the invitation here, listen, the invitation is already extended. Don't don't get that order wrong. What we're about to do is not you get yourself clean and then Jesus invites you to the table. Jesus has extended the invitation already. So come. But come having confessed your sin. Come having received the eternal life. Come knowing that to the best of your ability, you're walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and all His commands. But however the Spirit leads, you do business with the Lord as you need to. If you'd like to to have someone pray with you, I'd love to do that. I'll be down here. If you have questions about what you've heard, come talk to me or talk to me after the service. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But you respond as the Lord leads. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a different manner than we normally do. Well, I say different. It's the way we used to do it back before we were eating styrofoam and grape juice. But but we want to have an unhurried time in the Lord's presence at his table with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So however the Lord leads, you respond. And then when it's time for us to partake of the Lord's Supper together, I'll come back up here and lead us in that. So you pray where you are and respond as the Lord leads.